Um, before I start, if I may ask my audience, when I when you think of the um, this story of the affair with Dina and the wiping out of the city of Shechem, what do you what comes to mind? What what are your thoughts? Seems deceitful. They said, "Oh, everything's fine. Just circumcise yourself, and we'll go along with it." And then instead, they wait until they're in their maximum period of pain, and they kill them all. So it, it seems. <clears throat> not direct. Okay. And that the father was not happy with the whole thing. So it seems that they acted in a deceitful way and their father reprimanded them for it and we do not condone such activity. So this is yes. sort of one of the the those passages of the of our history, let's say, of our Torah which we are not so proud of. That's sort of the fe- the feeling that you would get. A little bit, and the two of them got a reputation of being non-contemplative, hot-headed, acting okay. without contemplation of the consequences. So we describe this as, as an adolescent. So Shimon and Levi at the time we're young teenagers I mean we have to be careful when we talk about ages because this is something which I don't have a clarity in but it seems very apparent that the maturity levels of ancient history are nothing like I mean even in the last hundred years I think a 15 year old a hundred years ago was um, tremendously more mature and independent than a 15-year-old today, right? Just think about what your grandfather was doing when he was 15 and what you were doing when you were 15, all right? And even from the stories in the Torah that, you know, I mean, Rivka was married or of married, it was normal for them to be discussing her marriage with her family, and at the time, we need the Chumashim, we need. Um, uh, when she was three years old, according to many opinions. So, And she but, was in charge of the animals. Right. So they were given a huge responsibility. Right. So a three-year-old. Right. So clearly, when we discuss maturity, it's we have to. But at the end of the day, they were young teenagers, and what you're saying is that we get the impression they get the reputation. You said that they behaved like teenagers. Namely, they behaved in a way where they didn't really fully contemplate the consequences of what they were doing. Where do you see that they got this reputation? When he dies, he says, "You're like." something, I don't remember exactly the quote, but he brings it up. So before Yaakov's death in Parshat Svayichi. Also when they go down to Egypt, they want them separated. Right. So Yes, very good, right. I mean, there's a bunch of references to the fact So there's numerous references to the fact that we're scared of what Shimon and Levi might get up to, and we disapprove of what they get up to. Right in the in the separation on the and their descent to Egypt, in Yaakov's parting words from them before his death, etc. Um, by the way, it's interesting that just referencing what I just said about their maturity level. That on the one hand, everything that I just said. On the other hand, we do learn out according to one opinion in the Gemara the fact that bar mitzvah occurs at the age of thirteen 
is learned out from this story where we refer to them as Ish, and according to the Cheshman, it comes out that Levi was 13 at that point. Be that as it may. Emmanuel, do you have anything to add or subtract or change? Or? It also seems in Bayechiv, Yaakov seems to have said, I had this taken care of. I already, I had Shkem taken care of. He said when I conquered it with the, with the sword and with the bow, mm. I mean spiritually they were, I, I accomplished spiritually what you, what you did not have to do uh, in addition to what I, it was like a misuse of resources and time was a waste. This is, I already had this done. That's one thing. And then another thing is that uh, it was deceit. So, it was deceit in the sense that what happened with Yaakov? Yaakov and Lavan, the reason why he switched uh, Rachel with, uh, with Leah was deceit. Mm. So Yaakov says, Lavan, how could you deceive me? And he's doing a little dance, you know, Lavan, trying to explain, even though he knows that he did deceive him, and that's one of the Noahide uh, principles not to deceive. Okay. And here they go around, and they, uh, they have a bris, and then uh, they're kind of like deceiving. So they're kind of like doing what uh, Lavan did. Those two things. So misuse of resources, unnecessary squandering of resources. So you have, had it taken care you're of. understanding the pasuk of Ayichi to be saying, you're not. It's not the same pasuk that he was talking about. It's two pasukim later, You're not not even two pasukim much later. It's when that was when he was addressing Shimon and Levi. You're referencing the pasuk when when he was addressing Yosef. That he says, right. and you're referencing a pshat in that pasuk, which I don't recall, but it may be. Um, that that um, that um, that whatever they did. That's what the brisker was. Oh, it's a brisker. Okay. Davening and thing. No, but Bakashbi means davening and thing. Um, that's already in Chazal. But that 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 he was that what that pasuk means we may or may not get to. But okay, if possible, that means that. I don't the fact that I. I mean, there's many pshatim in those right. pesukim. The, the nature of the Berchus of Yaakov are that they're poetry. So if in every, in every Pasuk in the Torah there's so many different uh, Rishonim and different approaches how to understand them, yeah. this is true manifold when it comes to Pesukim which are poetry, as are the Brachas to Yaakov. Um, okay, so the misuse of resources, and again, you're not so happy with the deceitfulness. But I think there's well, a... Well, they didn't learn from no one. Right, but there's, I think there's a primary difference between what you're saying and what Dan is saying, because what you were saying there was a misuse of resources, you're, you're saying that the result of what they did was warranted. In other words, it was okay to wipe out the city. It was just the it method... It was already done. It was already done. How was it already done? Yaakov said it. as far as the brick... So, right. So, they were gonna, you were saying that the city was going to get wiped out. They just they didn't need to do it in the way they did it. Whereas Dan, if I understood you correctly, was sort of dispro- was saying that the city didn't really deserve to be wiped out. I didn't say that. You didn't? That's what I... That's No. What I said is that they implied or stated to say that everything is fine if you do this. And then they wiped it out. So they basically said, don't worry about it, it's all fine, I'm going to kill you. But they didn't mention that we're going to kill you. Okay. Now, if you are going to wipe out, you're just like to wipe it out. That's a very clever tactic, you know. Put yeah. your enemy at their, at their vulnerable point. Right. That's you do it. Well, were they... Okay. Anybody else? Shalom? Shalom? I can't believe I'm a little behind. So, what? Well, uh, so, so all of all of what you're saying of interesting points, which I hope to address. Another question, which I think is uh, um, uh, perhaps even more fundamental, is not just criticizing or or, or 
condoning their motives or their methods, but it's what it. What about what they did? In other words, forget about whether they did it deceitfully or honestly. Were they justified in killing a whole city? So, what I want to do is um, this is a you know a, a, a very broad topic and many many mafarshim. Actually, this is a book that I bought in Israel, which is very useful, which I didn't even get to look at so much in this parasha. But we're we talking about capital uh, Amidalit, huh? No, Kapitel Amidalid in in this Chumash is page one sixty one. So. What I want to do is read the Psukim together with perhaps the Rashi and the Ramban. Um, and as I do so, I will also add and explain what other commentaries say. And um, Okay. So, Batei Dina Baslea, Ashayoldo Liakiv Liroiz Bivnois Haaretz. Dina, the son of the daughter, sorry, Dina, the daughter of Leah, born to Jacob, went out to look over the daughters of the land. Now, seems to be a, a curious way of describing who this girl is. Bas Leah Ashayol is usually we describe somebody saying Bas their father's name, or perhaps Bas their mother's name. But here, this is usually it would be Bas the father's name. Here, there's two things, but, but it, it's strange in that it says the, the daughter of Leah. Who was born to Yaakov? Sarasi bring quotes from the Medrash um, that we're uh, we're associating her with Leah because Leah was a Yatsonis. Leah was a woman who went out. She was, and we bring the Rashi references the story that when, in which we just read yesterday, that when Reuven comes home with the flowers and. Rachel wants the flowers, which were, um, and 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 she switches the night with Yaakov in, for the flowers, which many say were flowers, which I forget the name of, but they had um, fertility qualities. Mandrakes. Jasmine. Jasmine. Mandrakes. Jasmine. How do you know about these things? Um, he works for Chabad Arur. <laughs> uh, so, so, so it says that Leah went out to greet Yaakov um, to um, to tell him that you know to come to her place instead of to Rachel's place, and so we see Leah going out, and so to here Leah is going out. Um, sorry, Dina is going out now. So like her to her mother, yeah. Now the the, the the connotation of this, the way many mafarshim understand it, is in a negative light. In other words, we're, we're somewhat pointing a finger at Dina, saying like, "You're a person who acts inappropriately. You're going out more than you ought to, and you sort of you you did this to yourself." That is the way that many mafarshim understand this. That would not go these days. But the Rebbe, the the, the Rebbe does not. The Rebbe has does not accept that argue, that reading of, of Rashi, and not uh, many other mafarshim also, but also the Rebbe. So we'll just as the Rebbe, First of all, it's it's not uh, in the Rebbe's the way the Rebbe sees things. It's not possible that the Torah would go out of its way to point a negative finger at Dina. Like the Torah doesn't do that. But but the Rebbe sort of puts it in this light. He says, why the fact that Leah went out was a good thing. Why was she going out? Because she wanted to have more shvatim, and in fact, not only the, the, the Hashem actually rewards her. No, um, 
sorry, uh, before that, that that night she conceived Zavulun before Yisachar. She conceived Zavulun because of her because she was misava machzeres laharbis shvatim because she wanted to have many shvatim. Hashem gave her the gift that she conceived Zavulun that night, which wasn't her turn. In other words, she had already had her share of the she had already had four of the of the twelve, so she had sort of had her share. Um, that's a. So Leia going out in that connotation is a positive thing. We 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 we, we condone it, and we we we, we and and not only that, and the, and the idea of having children to bring more people to influence more people in in the world. So the rabbi argues that that would be the same thing here with Dina. Why was Dina going out, Lurus Bivnoisaretz? She wanted to associate herself and mingle with the other people over there, in order to influence them. And this is also alluded to in another Rashi, which says that one of the reasons why Yaakov was punished with this whole story happening was because he locked up Dina from Esau so that Esau shouldn't see her, just like Avram had locked up Sarah and Yitzchak had, locked up, had, had hidden Rivka. And he was punished because Dina was different. She was a Yatsonist. She had the capability and the personality to be able to influence Esav. So he should have allowed her to influence Esav. And th- so Dina wasn't, she was a Yatsonist. She was outgoing. She was dynamic. She was able to influence the people of Shem. That's why she was going out. That's not the simple shot, is it? Well, the, the uh, what 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 create what what defines simple pshat? I mean, this is one of the this is one of the pshatim. This is the way, this is the pshat that the rabbi accepts, and there's other mafarshim also. Oh wow! Fascinating. I just noticed this. Okay. Um. Okay, let's continue. The Ramban says that the reason why she's... Yeah, let's continue. Pasuk Then, so she's out there, and Shechem ben Chamer HaChivi, um, Shechem, the son of Chamer, who's the, who's the prince of the land, takes her. He takes her, he lies with her, and he afflicts her. Now Rashi says these double expression of... Um, lies with her and afflict her, refer to Bia Kedarka and Shaloi Kedarka, which Kedarka means um, the normal way of intimacy in a natural manner. Shaloi Kedarka in an unnatural manner, which is the euphemism which Chazal use for uh, vaginal intercourse and um, anal intercourse. That's what Rashi says, but the... um, the, the 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 point is all the Rishonim talk about this word Ya'neho, that he raped her, he made her suffer. Um, the exact exactly what he did is not as relevant as the as, as the thing that he he, he he tortured her, and the 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 the, the, the Mitziv writes based on his understanding of the Gemara that the torture over here was that. There was an emotional torture over here that he told, because later in the next pasuk it says that he was cleaving to her and he vaydaber libo. He he he, spo- he appealed to the maiden's emotions. That's how he translated. Yeah, how does the Kaplan translate it? Um, 
try to make up with her. Um, but but w- w- what he was playing with her, in other words, we all know, in today's day we know that sexual abuse um, and emotion is usually synonymous with emotional abuse. Um, and the context of it is very different. It's interesting that in last week's parsha we have this same word of inui meaning the opposite thing. When Lavan says to Yaakov at the end, when they're parting, not to be ba'ana as benoisai, not to make my daughter suffer, Rashi says that it means to not withhold from them intimacy. Now, so w- in other words, sexual abuse, w- when, it, when it's a person's wife, sexual abuse could mean to refrain. And when it's a stranger, sexual abuse means to indulge, right? The point is that there's abuse going on over here. So the, the Hamikdomer says that part of the abuse was that he, she realized that this wasn't just a one-time rape thing. Now she was going to be contaminated and she wouldn't be able to get a good shidduch. She wouldn't be able to, she wouldn't, she, she, she wasn't a virgin anymore. And it wasn't just she wasn't a virgin, she wasn't, she was contaminated, she was raped. And in fact, as we'll see he later, the Hamikdover, he, he says that as Chakin Gemara, if it was just the Nitziv himself, I mean the Nitziv, if it was just him himself saying it, I wouldn't give it as much credence. But the Ramban, not in the same words, but the Ramban actually says, um, that indeed Dina was never able to marry because of this story Dina was never able to marry because she was considered defiled and nobody wanted to marry her now there's two there's a machloikus in the Medish which Ramban is aware of and he quotes it and Rashi but you know that today we have a concept called um, Stockholm Syndrome it, it, it could even be that that's what Dina had because Rashi says that Dina didn't want to leave until Shimon promised her that he would marry her. Like, even after they killed, uh, they killed Shechem, they killed Hamar, they wiped out the city, Dina didn't want to leave. She was, she was stuck there. So that's one way of understanding it, that she had, been, uh, that's also tremendous abuse. But the way the Ramban says it was, no, Dina was not able to get married anymore. That's why Shimon had to marry her, because she was defiled. But the Ramban actually favors the even more extreme interpretation that indeed she was she wasn't able to, she never married and Shimon he says took care of her and Shimon um, made sure she got buried and Shimon actually said the Ramban writes that we actually know where Dina's tome is and I saw here that he also references that um, in the time of sorry Do we know what we, today we don't but it's, it, he, but in the, um, he writes say that he found a diary of somebody who's about 60 years before the Ramban where he writes that in his trip to Israel they stopped at the tomb of Dina. So they knew, you know, by going back a few hundred years they didn't know where it was, today we don't. Um, but, um, so Dina, so, so there, there was a tremendous, in other words, it wasn't just like, oh, you know, they, she was going out and dancing in the fields, and uh, she fell in love with, you know, he really, he took her and he raped her, and he didn't just abuse her sexually, he really... How old was she? Well, if Levi was not, was 13, and after Levi was born Yehuda, and then there was a few year gap, and then there was Yisachar, and Zavulun, and then Dina. So, what, you know, maximum eight, you know, maximum. But again, like I said before, I don't know if you were here, it's difficult to understand what ages mean. They say going he was 12. Who was 12? Dina. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. Where are you reading? Bottom, under the first house, you know, some say she was 12 years old, and, say, it, I, um, I and then it gives a reference. I don't know what that reference is, but, okay, I, it, it, it would like seem... She looked like she was 12. 
according to the Cheshbon, if Levi, I mean the Cheshbon is that Levi was 13, now it could be there are dissenting opinions because there's two shittas as to how we know that 13 is the age of Bar Mitzvah. One so is from right. here and one is Halacha. He's a man then. Right. right. One shit is that we learn out from Levi. The other shit is that it's Halacha Lameshah Messinah. So if it's Halacha Lameshah Messinah and we don't learn it out from Levi, so it could be that opinion has the ages working differently. But according to the normative approach, Dina was maximum eight or nine years old. But again, like I said before, when you say a girl was eight uh, 3,000 years ago, it, it's hard to know what that even means. Um, sorry? Well, if there was a three-year-old girl who was in charge of a herd of animals and, 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 and a shepherd and got, married. and got married, clearly there's... I mean, even I said this before, but think about what you were doing when you were 15 and what your grandfather was doing when he was 15. I assume he was much more mature and independent than you were. Uh, so, I mean... I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the Muslims take it literally. <laughs> they would get married to an eight-year-old. That's true too. Well, not a hundred years ago, but not three thousand years. You know what ago. I'm saying? Hundred yeah. years ago, so that you know you didn't have that time to screw around. <laughs> oh, there are also there are other variables. It's a, it's a subsistence economy. You're automatically just sa- mature just to survive. So. Yes. Right. The point is that the, 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 however mature, I mean, even 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 in 2018. Yeah, in communities, and I've seen this. I know these communities in an intimate way. In the Hasidic communities, where people marry at you know eighteen is the is the usual time for marriage, eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. Now I'm not I'm not saying that there's no issues in that system, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no question, and I've seen this numerous. I, 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 I these are my cousins. You know, I, I I know this firsthand. There's no question that those people are a lot more ready, for, many of them are a lot more ready for marriage than people in our communities are at the age of 18. Not all of them, now. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, that's not the point. The point is, the point that, is that if you know that at 18 you're going to get married, that's going to affect how fast you mature and how mature you are at 18. If you know that you don't need to marry until you're 23, 26, then you're, then you're, you have, you're, you're not, then, yeah. If you know you're getting married at 18, you're ready at 18. Maturity is not, is not, is not, is not merely biological. In fact, not always though. I'm not no, saying there are it's always exceptions. But the point is, if you have a society directed. Okay. My point is that the society three thousand, even if within the world of 2018 we see that maturity levels differ by societies, then when you start talking about what something means three thousand, I mean, we can't even imagine what what life is. There's another aspect to it. What does getting married mean? There were opinions that when Yitzchak married Rivka and she was three, he didn't he didn't have relationships with her till older. So what does it mean he married her? Looked after her. Like forget about forget about marriage. She was she was taking the animals to the well to drink. To, right? Could, would you allow your daughter to do that when she was three? Herds, not animals. A whole herd of sheep, and she's responsible for it. She has to deal with. I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying you can also play on what marriage meant then and what it means today. You know, let me ask you another question, which I, I was, either was or wasn't. We get to it later. When you think about the city of Shechem, yeah, what comes to mind? Forget about the why. But I think, well, what do you imagine a city? How big is a city? How many people are in this city? Huge. Why? I don't know. We imagine a city as being it a big thing. Two guys wiped out the entire city in one night, killing... Some of the commentaries, by the way, some of the commentaries say, because we're going to talk about the third day, they came on the third day. Say what? 
Okay, it could, it could be it was miraculous. It could be, but let, let's just talk about. We imagine the Torah talks about whole city men, women. We, we think about a big city, right? And not only that, we talk about the third day of circumcision. So Rashi says, and this is, I think, the famous Pshat, that the third day, was because that was the third day, on the third day is the most painful, the person's the most weak, that's sort of the peak of the getting weak before, sorry, yeah? Um, but other Mepharshim say no, that it just took them so long to be able to circumcise a whole city. It took them three days to circumcise everyone, right? However, m- more recently, archaeological evidence um, seems to indicate that on the contrary, that these the cities that we're talking about in those days were very small. Post-time. When they were talking, they, they, I saw quoted like some, they found a letter from a, a certain pharaoh to a certain, you know, they, were, they needed to protect the city and they asked for 10 soldiers. How many soldiers could, ten, how many people could send? A city could have been 100 people, 50 people. We don't, right? Now, I don't know if we found sort of archaeological remains of Shechem. We do know that Shechem was a was a. It's clear both from later in Tanakh it's mentioned, and also in from archaeological evidence that Shechem was a vibrant city years after this story. So they didn't kill the women, and they sort of they left room for the for the city to sort of regenerate itself. But I'm just saying, like society, we think of Shechem, a city, a city could have been a hundred. And now in those days, a city of a hundred people was considered huge. Right? I mean, Yaakov's family were considered a nation. They were 20 people. Right? That was a nation. The, the, the terminology, I mean, you can't, when you're dealing with a society in the ancient world, you have to leave room for, 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 to sort of reevaluate what you, your, your premises your all the time. Anyway, let, let's, get, let's get back to the story here. So, so anyway, so she's never going to be able to marry the Ramban prefers the opinion and he elaborates on this that she indeed never did marry so she's she's really been contaminated and abused in the most atrocious way verse that would give more reason for them to wipe out the city okay that's it okay verse 4 verse 3 sorry um but take back now should be i'm going to use the article translation Oh, we could use the Kaplan. We're following along. We'll do Kaplan. Um, he, becoming deeply attached to Jacob's daughter, Dina, he fell in love with her and tried to make up with her. Um, okay. Shechem says to his father, get me this young girl as a wife. Now here we suddenly um, change the, the, the description from her as being a Nara to a Yalda, which connotes that she's a you know, young girl. Um, okay. Yaakov hears Jacob learned that his daughter Dina had been defiled. His sons were in the field with the livestock, and Jacob remained silent until they come home. What's going on over here? Yaakov is at home. Somehow he gets word of what's happened. His children are not there. Dina is still in captivity. And he's waiting. Now, clearly, and the, the Ahamid Dov actually sort of emphasizes this, that if Dina was, had, was now at risk, then Yaakov would obviously have sprung into action. Dina, the, Why, the damage had already been... Sorry? Yeah. Because to save his daughter. I mean, with also uh, with the Isaac. 
he didn't jump in. No, he didn't. He didn't have anything to do. He couldn't do anything. Yeah, he could have gone. He thought Yosef was dead in the pit. I mean, Yaakov wasn't there. Yaakov wasn't even in the pit. Right. So, all he said. Why is Yaakov waiting for his sons? That's the question over here. What do you want from his sons? And why is he waiting? So, first of all, the damage had already been done. Dina had already been raped and tortured. Now she's in captivity. There's no point in making rash. You know, you, you both of you were saying about how Shimon and Levi were jumping into things without thinking. Yeah, the right? Yaakov, won, he says, you know, at this point, whether I do it right now or wait till they get back, the Rechaim Kodesh says he wasn't just waiting. The Hechrish, he says, connotes that he sort of sent to call them. Okay, so so he's waiting for them because he wants to, he doesn't want to deal with this on himself. He wants he wants their input, which is very important over here because we're going to have to think about whether or not and to what extent Yaakov is criticizing his children. But clearly, he was interested in their input. He was waiting for them. And as the next Pasuk says, no, not the next Pasuk. Okay, let's continue reading a few more Pasuk. Okay. Um, meanwhile, Shechem's father, Chamor, came to speak with, to Jacob to speak with him. So this is a very important passage. Jacob's sons returned from the field when they heard what had happened. The men were shocked and they seethed with anger. Shechem had committed an outrage against Israel, sleeping with the daughter of Jacob. Such an act cannot be tolerated. Okay, so the, the, this is sort of the pros of cons and cons of translations. Rabbi Kaplan's translation is very unique, but he, he's, he's sort of, he's molding it into the way he understands the psukim, and I want to try to be open to, okay, so it's a problem with translation. So, so what's going on here? Let's take this. So Shechem comes, sorry, Shechem is not there yet. Hamur comes, the father comes, to speak to Yaakov. In the, meaning, in the meantime, the other, the brothers, the children of Yaakov come. They're very upset and angry. Um... Because this the, the, some uh, abomination had been occurred to to, to rape the, the sister, What does Rashi say? This means such a thing should not be done. That is the translation. He translates it as tolerated. That's the interpretation. That's not the translation. The translation is such a thing should not not be done. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a false tra- interpretation. It's a, it's a true interpretation, but it's not a translation. Um, Rashi says, It's not appropriate to rape um, virgins. The nations had um, they um, guarded themselves, had created laws for themselves about concerning uh, these type of relations. As a result of the Marble. How do you say marble in English? Well, no, come on, Sean. <laughs> How do you say marble in English? There's a word. Destin- deluge. Deluge, that's right. Come on. What did you say? Mr. Chabad Daror. You don't know about deluge? No. Come on, man. Okay. So. Yeah. Seasaurus.com. Anyway, right? So. So they. So, ra- the way, so, so basically. 
they were so infuriated because Shechem had done something which even by their own standards was abom- abominable. That's well, those were the, the established foundation of Noahide law. Right, this, laws. this was universal, exactly. This was universal law. Uh, you know, it's not appropriate to rape, to rape people, to rape a young girl, etc. But then there's a problem with that. Then well, it wouldn't say outdoors. Any no, so it's two things. So that the pasuk is saying two things. First of all, kinevala of Yisrael lishkav es Yaakov. A, in other words, because there's the, w- w- the, right the bas Yaakov are considered a holy special family, and that's clear. You see, throughout the throughout the narrative, kichafitz bevas Yaakov. There's there's numerous references to the fact to, to, to the you know they wanted to become one nation to be able to get our daughter. There's numerous references to the fact that this was a prominent family. We know that already from Hagar. This was a prominent family, which was that in, in and of itself was attractive to the people of Shechem. Um, right. So besides that, was, uh, right. So, so he, um, so that's a. This was a, a terrible thing for the Bais And again, like Ramban says. It, it, sh- Numerous times, another thing which the word appears numerous times throughout the narrative is Timei. They contaminated, they defiled her. And then there's Vichen in even regardless of who this girl is, this is not an appropriate way to behave. Okay, so they, he's done a terrible thing. Chamoir comes to speak to Yaakov. And while he comes, he sort of comes in together with the children, and now Chamoir is talking to Yaakov and his, and his sons. Now, just imagine the scenario over here. Chamoir is coming to have a meeting with Yaakov and his sons. Shechem, the rapist, is not here yet. Dina is not. Dina is still in captivity. What does Chamoir do? Puzzle cast eight. Chamoir, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to. I, I love Kaplan's interpretation. Try to reason. It's beautiful with it's a beautiful interpretation. But I want to. I want to. I want to try and get more literal here. So I'm going to use the art school translation. Chamer um, spoke with them, saying, "Shechem, my son, longs deeply for your daughter. Shechem beni choshka nafshi bebitchem tenun no isa ledeisha. Please give her to him as a wife." Now, there's something very inappropriate going on over here. Chamer is coming to speak to them like a whole gentleman. Oh, my son loves your daughter. Please give her to her as a wife. There's no mention of the fact that he raped her. There's no mention of the fact that she's still in captivity and I'll give her back to you. It's almost as if not everything's fine and hunky-dory. Let's work for and right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, this is, this is I, I mean, it's flabbergasting, right? The chutzpah is, is unbelievable. You know, something just occurred to me now. That is, I mean, this may be absolute fault. I don't know. It just literally just occurred to me. I'm going to say it. Shechem is a, real, is a real spoiled brat. His father doesn't admonish him for raping the girl. He not stands up for him and goes to. Just I'll fix this for you. It's all be okay. Right. Well, by the what was the name of the? Well, if you rape a girl, you then marry her. What was Today. the? What was the name of the? What was the name of the city? Shechem. So did Hamur? Na- I'm just saying. Did Hamur name the city for his son? That is the peak of being of spoiling a kid, you know. So I'm going to have you a kid. I'm going to give you this city. <laughs> it could be the other way around. It could be. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It just occurred to me right now. Whatever. Okay. Chamer continues his story. Um, 
you will marry into us. You could give us your daughters. You could take our daughters. You will sit with us. Now, one very interesting thing over here, which we're not going to have time for, is to put that, make a chart. I've seen, um, I saw yesterday, there's a woman called, um, she's not alive anymore, Nechama Leibowitz, um, who has a series called... Um, I forgot what it's called, but her, her sort of essays on, on Chumash. And she, I mean, many Mepharshim do it, but she literally makes a chart um, of the different, of the, what, when Chamer presents the deal to Yaakov and his family versus the way Chamer presents the deal to his city, and sort of pointing out the, 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 the min, um, not minute, the, 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 no, there's a, hold on. The nuances, the nuance differences. Um, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna, it's already 940, I'm not gonna have time to go through that. But one thing that's very evident here, and Rashi also sort of points this out, is that the way he's presenting it to Yaakov is that, you know, you're in the driving seat. He's being a gentleman. You're in the driving seat. You could do whatever you want. You could live wherever you want. I'll give you citizenship. In other words, not only you could live here, inherit it, you could become full fledged citizens of our land, um, you know, etc. Now, suddenly, Shechem himself comes into the picture, verse 11. So now, the lad himself comes in. And again, there's no remorse, there's no apology, there's no, nothing. He says, I want you guys to love me, man. You know, I want to be your favorite son-in-law. Shechem says to her father and her brothers, let me gain favor in your eyes. Whatever you tell me, I'll give. I'll pay for this. I'll make you comfortable. Verse 12. I'm going to, whatever you tell me, whatever price, I'll give you. So, here, Chamer and Shechem are coming to Yaakov with this, um, with this, you know, in this gentleman-like way. And in the meantime, there's a problem here. Dina is in captivity, and Shechem and Chamer have made no indication that they were ready to give her back. The Ramban says that the reason for this whole thing was Shechem had no concern that they were going to take him back. The reason, I'll just read you the trend. The reason for this great attempt at appeasement was so that they should give her to him for a wife willingly. For the girl herself would not reconcile herself to him and she would cry and weep all the time. This is also the explanation of verse 3 above. He appealed to the maiden's emotions. Right? He was trying to convince her to continue living with him. So this is why he says. So 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 basically, he has Dina in his in in his cellar, yeah, in his cell. She's weeping and crying. She's not willing to live with him intimately, yeah, right, voluntarily. She's refusing. So he said he what he's trying to do. He's going to go to her family, present this as oh, you know, I would love to marry your daughter, and then he'll be able to come back to Dina and says, look, your father, your family have agreed to this. They've given up on you. In other words, whichever way he would twist it, but your family have agreed to this. Okay. Now starts the answer. Verse 13. 
the children of Yaakov answer. So, and Yaakov is obviously there, but he had waited for them to come, meaning, and, and the Ramban says that this was a, a, a way of respecting Yaakov, his children were making sure that he wouldn't have to sort of get his hands dirty, they were going to take care of it. But this is all, the, 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 the context seems to indicate that this is all with Yaakov's consent. And the children of Yaakov answered, this is not, we haven't yet singled out Shimon and Levi, this seems to be all of them who were, the, who were present, answered. Bemirma, I'll get to that word in a minute, they spoke, So, the word Bemirma is usually translated as deceit. Rashi says here, Bemirma means Bechachma, with wisdom. And the, and the Pasuk itself seems to be justifying the deceit, because the Pasuk adds the words, that they contaminated this, their sister. In other words, they were going here with a ruse, but the Torah is sort of adding in this phrase of justification that these were rapists. So they were justified by being deceitful, which is perhaps why Rashi changes the word, translates the word as not as deceit, but as chachma. Because when you deal wisely and cunningly with a rapist, that's not called deceit. Right? When the, well, if you, you know, the, F, the, the, the FBI and the authorities do this all the time. They do a sting. Yeah? Doing a, a FBI, an FBI sting is not deceit. It's just a clever way to arrest criminals. Did right? See the translation here? No. Criteria motive. Okay. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Again, I have nothing against Rabbi Kaplan's, and I, I love not, it. It's, it's, if you want to just read the parsha and get a good understanding of it, it's amazing. But if you want to sort of be a little bit more thorough and study the psukim and thing, then then it's like reading it with just Rashi. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? You want to see what the Ramban and the Rachaim, right? You you don't want to limit yourself to. Um, if you look, I don't know if it's here. I think it's in the Rabbi Kaplan. I, I've never. It may be here. No, I think Rabbi Kaplan, st- he wrote the Chomish and then he started writing uh, his translation on Anach and he passed away and his disciples, I guess, did it for him. It's called The Living Prophets. It's a brown, It's not as famous as the purple thing. It's brown books. But in the intro- introduction there, there's a whole essay about the challenge of translation. Um, a very, a very interesting essay. Anyway, so... Um, okay, so that's one of the reasons why it's important to learn Hebrew. Okay. So the children of Yaakov, again, all the children of Yaakov, presumably with the consent of the father, are speaking here with an ulterior motive. It is a disgrace for us to give our daughter to a person who is uncircumcised. We will sort of agree to your thing, to your offer, if you circumcise the whole, everyone. And then we will give our daughters to you, and you'll give our daughter to us, and we'll become one nation, etc. And here in verse 17 is the, is, is, the, is, the, is the sort of the clinch where they say, if you don't listen, then we'll take our daughter and go. And, and go. In other words, here this is the first time where they've put into the discussion, they're being deceitful, they're pretending to be part of this formal discussion, but they're adding in another clause. There's suddenly the first reference to the fact that if you don't agree to our con- conditions, we want Dina back. So what is the mirma? What is the, the, the deceit or the cunningness? What's going on in here? So many Mefarshim, and perhaps the first of them is the Ramban, says a very Pashta thing. 
he, say, he says, like I said, it's obvious from the Pesukim that Yaakov was so far, thus far in agreement to all of this. He says, it never occurred to them in their wildest dreams for a moment that the whole city of Shrem would agree to circumcise. This was just, they were sort of going to give them a, you know, you know, I'll sell you this, I'll sell you this, this book for a million dollars. I'm not interested in selling a book. And then, oh, you're going to give me, now I'm stuck. So, the Mirma was, now Ramban says twofold. A, it never occurred to them, not to Yaakov, not to Shimon and Levi, not to any of the other brothers, it didn't even occur to them for a moment that maybe Shechem would circumcise, but that he would get the whole city, how are you going to get a whole city to circumcise? Like, you're going to circumcise to protect their, their rapist uh, royal prince? Like, it, the whole story, thing doesn't make sense. That's A. B, says the Ramban, even if somehow they would get everyone to circumcise, then they would come on the third day when they're all weak, and not and they were all weak and they wouldn't have um, uh, energy to, to fight. And what would they do? They would take dinner. So what Yaakov and the other brothers agreed to in this deceit was, in other words, Shimon and Levi were the only ones with their mind on doing any damage to the whole city, according to the Ramban's interpretation. We'll see. Well, we won't, time permitting. Um, um, but, 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 but the part of it that everyone agreed to was, A, that there was deceit, in other words, that they're just giving them an impossible condition, that nobody's going to do this, and B, even if they do do it, then they'll be able to go and get Dina back. To, to me, Bamirma simply means that they, instead of being angry and saying, you raped, your son raped us, they went along and said, you know, oh, you're trying to act like a tzaddik. Okay, well, we can't do that because, of, in other words, we can't do that because you need a bris, was Bamirma, meaning, really, they were pissed off and they wanted to kill the guy, but they went along with it. Why can't that be Bamirma? They went along with it. Simply. But they didn't just go along with it, they had this plan here with the circumcision. Well, the way that I'm back, well, we'll when see. Do they have time to plan that. At what point? You know, we, we don't have. They decided the moment they heard this, we, we, kill we don't have the minutes of the meeting here. We have. Everybody's not aggressive. Hmm? We don't have the, the minutes of the meeting. We have here. A brief description, exactly how the, you know they had a huddle, they had a huddle and whatever. The way the Rambans, and we'll see. There's other opinions, but the way the Ramban understands it was that it's very evident that they were all on the same page. Yaakov and all his sons were on the same page. What was the plan? Either that presumably this wouldn't work because there's no way they're all going to agree to circumcise, and even if they do, so they'll all be circumcised. Then we'll go in and get back our daughter and goodbye, Charlie. You know, yeah, we've tricked you. Yeah, well, you still kidnapped that daughter. We had to get her back. Okay. Then we'll all live with you and live together. Okay, so then, suddenly, shockingly, in verse 18, they do it. They circumcise Chamayishchem, the whole city. They get, you know, everyone's Hunichmat because this is the royal prince. Okay, now in verse 20, 21, 22, 23, they make the pitch to the people. They call a town hall meeting and they make the pitch. And 
like I said before, we don't have time to go through all the nuanced differences, but one thing that's two things that are just very obvious. One is that they 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 they, they change the setting. In other words, now we're in the driving seats. Um, we we will be able to take their daughters. We will be able to right. They're they're the ones in the driving seat, and then they add verse twenty three. That we will basically be able to plunder all. The, in other words, we'll we'll sort of ruse them in. They'll become citizens of Shem, and then we'll just siphon all their money. We'll tax we'll them. Tax we'll the you know we'll follow animals. All the property will become ours. Exactly. So there's there's very clear here a, a sinister at least economic. Uh, motive going on over here. Okay, then they all come in, and um, okay, so they all circumcise, and on the third day, while they were kayavim, suddenly we have singled out here Shimon and Levi. And they kill the whole city, they kill all the males of the city. So, here is the million-dollar question, which we've been sort of working to getting towards: is why are they killing the whole city? It says that. Yeah, he brings it down from my mind. Oh, he brings it down here. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he br- where is it? On the bottom of the page, under thirty-four colon twenty-five. Since every male, since the citizens, since the citizens are not penalized for his crime, they will consider the accomplices. Maimonides, Hilchis Menachem, chapter nine, fourteen. It's the last. Halacha of Parak Nine. Furthermore, the people of Shechem were planning to attack Jacob and plunder him. Besides, this, the cities deserved divine punishment since they were notorious for seducing and raping daughters of strangers. Okay, there's a lot of there's a lot going on over here. Let's try and just sort this out. So, the, fir- the, the, the famously, the Rambam says like this: One of the seven Noahide laws are dinim. What does dinim mean? Says the Rambam, dinim means that the Noahides are obligated to set up a justice system which will uphold the fulfillment of the other six mitzvahs. Because the people of Shechem fail to do so, they're all liable because the principle is that Noahide who transgresses any of his seven mitzvahs is liable to death. So they were all, um, they were all liable to death. Death by God or death by man? No, death by man. That's the principle, right? Uh, I should read the Rambam inside. I don't have the Rambam here. Uh, let's see if he quotes the Rambam. One second. Well, he says deserve divine punishment. That's not divine punishment. Besides this. Besides this. who transgresses any of these seven mitzvahs is killed by the sword. Somebody who witnessed somebody else doing it and didn't kill him, then that person gets killed because he's violating the seventh mitzvah, which is dinim. This is why all the people of Shechem were um, subject to death penalty. Because Shechem kidnapped. And they all knew about, saw this, knew about it, and they did not bring him to judgment. Says the Ramban. Why did they have to devise a trick to kill them? Just kill them. I'd have to do a bris and then we'll kill them. Because well, to keep just them kill them. them. To keep them off balance. I mean, if you want to kill them. Well, because they, they, they well, to maximize the chance. You of want victory. to make it easy to kill them. Conclusive. Yeah. Says the Ramban. These words. It doesn't make sense. 
he says, first of all, if this is the case that they were all liable to death, why did Yaakov, thank you, said, why did Yaakov admonish them? They did a mitzvah. The mitzvah to kill a ben Noyach who violates his thing. Says the, well, we'll get to the admonishment soon. And, uh, he admonishes them right away. Yeah, in verse, the first, the first admonishment of them is in verse um, um, 30. Yeah? And then perhaps again in Parashat Zaychi. So the Ramban says that actually the mitzvah of dinim doesn't mean to. He says that he has a completely different interpretation of the mitzvah of dinim of the seventh of the seven mitzvahs. Says it doesn't mean to create a justice system. It means anything that comes under the general um, um, yeah, basically, yeah, uh, the, the, um, in that genre of. Uh, I'll read you a few words from the Ramban. My opinion, the administration of justice that the sages counted among the seven commandments to the Noahides does not mean, as Rambam states, only that they are required to set up judges in every district to judge offenses concerning only the other six Noahide commandments. Rather, God commanded them concerning the laws of theft, theft overcharging, withholding wages, the laws of Baileys, the rapists, and the seducer of minors, the various categories of damages, personal injury, creditors, debtors, debtors buying, selling, Comparable to all uh, civil law. That's a good translation. According to the Ramban, Din means civil law. And he elaborates on this. No, it's got to be the Dinim associated with the mitzvah, not just seven mitzvahs, six mitzvahs. So, that, so he says Dinim is an umbrella mitzvah for all civil laws. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not, we don't have time now to go through all the details of the Ramban, but, but then, the, then the Ramban has an interesting twist. He says, I don't understand. Why does the Rambam need to find, search for reasons for the Shechemite's liability to death? I mean, these people were steeped in idolatry, sexual immorality, and all other acts of abominations to God. Now, I should, before I continue, let me turn back over here. Rashi said that it was not, uh, that the post-Mabal universe, the universal law, post-Mabal, um, had outlawed rape. Says the Rambam, I don't know what you're talking about. It's explicit in numerous places in the Torah that the people of the land of Canaan, which included Shechem, were inhabitants of the land who, before you committed all these abominations, they were steeped in incest, bestiality, homosexuality. These were the, right. It, it's, 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 it's so obvious from so many places in the Torah. That the, so why is Rashi telling me that these were that, that this was universal law? And then he says, well, still on the books. That. Then he says, hold on, then he says that we remember that in the days of Avram, he says, they didn't all begin engaging in these practices only in that generation when the Torah was given another thousand years later. Remember that in the days of Avram and Isaac, they were afraid that the natives of the land where they traveled would kill them in order to take their wives, which shows that they were immoral at the time as well. Now, other Mepharshim respond to this allegation by saying that Hiyanisenes, Avram and Yitzchak Mizrahi, he brings it here, I'll just read it in English. Mizrahi, in defense of Rashi, explains that the implication of those incidents is that in the days of the patriarchs, the Gentiles considered the taboo against adultery so strong that they would rather murder, murder a man and ravish his widow than commit adultery with a married woman. Right? But the Ramban, so that's 
Rashi's approach. But the Ramban is going with the approach that these people were obviously steeped in all types of in Avedizara, Gilerois, murder, and they were evil people rotten through and through. Right? In many places, scripture proclaims loudly about them and their attachment to idolatry. On the high mountains and the hills, under every leafy tree, don't learn to do according to the abominations of these nations. Sexual immorality, other verses. However, the truth of the matter is that it was not given over to Jacob and his sons that they should execute justice to the Quran and its older sins. So the Ramban says, of course they were Chayev Misa. But it wasn't appropriate for Shimon and Levi to be exact, for whatever reason, right? It wasn't appropriate for them to be, um, to, for, for them to be taking advantage of them. But what happened? Shimon and Levi knew that these people were Rishoyim and they were Chayev Misa. And once they got angry with them, for what they had done, they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to fulfill your, we're going to carry out your death penalty. And therefore, and, and, and this is very important, what does, what, does, what does Yaakov say to them in verse 30? He says to them that, you know, you've put me in a vulnerable situation and I, and I, I don't know what to do. He doesn't say to them that you are mass murderers and you just wiped out an innocent city. So to summarize, because it's already ten o'clock and we're, you know, the, 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 on to sort of wrap up and perhaps uh, briefly mention some other opinions. It, the, the, the consensus amongst most of the poskim of the Mefarshim is that actually. Shimon and Levi did not kill any innocent people, either like the Rambam says because they violated Dinim, or like the Ramban says because they were just complete wicked people. Others say that the the people of Shechem and and, and um, um, actively tried to pr- that they just came to get back Dina. This was a rescue mission gone wrong type of thing. That they just came to get back Dina and um, and. Uh, and, and yeah, because they tried to protect the people of Shechem tried to protect their crown prince, who He was this crown prince that they all tried to protect. So they sort of got stuck, and they had to, you know, like, uh, yeah. Um, others say talk about hey the laws of war that this once this became a, a fight between two nations, then we're not going. Then we're not talking about civil law anymore. Now we're talking about um, the, the 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 you know. War. The war. What's the, the, the what's the expression for these today? Um, Rules of engagement. The, 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 uh, war, uh, the, r- r- war offenses, war criminal. Right? There's there's, there's, inter- there's there's a different set of laws that once you anyway. There's there's all these various approaches, but the bottom line is that Yaakov and and I, I'm going to finish off now with the way the Rebbe and a number of seekers combined the way the Rebbe portrays this. They what they had done wrong was that they. And I noticed here that there's a whole, there's a long history, Madrash, Shifa Yasha, which has a very detailed history of the war, of the whole story, with the wars with Yaakov, that they actually did end up being a war. And the Ramban quotes it, and he's not sure whether or not to, to, this is a legitimate historical piece or not. He says, if we believe it, then it works, you know, whatever. Um, so, it'd be nice to read. Be that as it may, the problem was that Kharat that they didn't take his advice. They didn't. They, they, they acted. They, they, they killed people who deserved to be killed, but they did it. They, they, they should have been more. 
they should have listened to they should have taken his advice they should, perhaps should have done it in a different way perhaps they shouldn't have done it at all not because they didn't deserve like the Givonim when the Givonim came and they lied to the Jewish people so it's clear in the Pesukim in Yeshua that bad some of the Jewish people deser- they deserve to be killed the Givonim deserve to be killed but the Jewish people didn't kill them because it created it would have created a Chilul Hashem so Yaakov says to them of course they deserve to die but by you killing them and to the world and the world media comes across as deception now you've created the Chilul Hashem and then what happens? they respond to him no are, they, are we going to allow our, our sister to be treated in this, uh, you know, like a prostitute or as a hefker? And, and again, there's various different ways to understand this pasuk, but whichever way you understand it, first, what, what the, well, one of the, one of the ways to understand it would be that they're saying, look, if we don't defend our sister's honor, then what's going to stop anyone from doing it again? You know, if I wait for, for people who come late to start the class, then they'll come late again next week. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but what's also interesting to note here is that there's no response to that. Yaakov tells them, you know, you, you could have made a Kiddush Hashem and not done it in this way. And they say, no, no, no. In this particular instance, we acted right because we were defending the honor, whatever, however, again, however you understand verse 31. And that, they get the last word. So it's not even clear that they, there's even any admonishment of them at all. Now, just one moment. Just again to 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 just make a brief reference to the pasuk that um, Dan quoted from Parshas Vayechi. Two fascinating things over there, because in Parshas Vayechi, Yaakov is talking, talking, admonishing their anger. And again, he doesn't tell them they're mass murderers. He tells them that you're angry people, and. Um, Again, it doesn't, and it would be it would it would be strange that in Parshas Vayechi he says one thing and Vayishlach he says another thing. I think it's much more um, neat to explain it in the same lines that Yaakov had a problem with their rash behavior, and the, the Rebbe points out that Parshas Vayechi and is coming also after the story of Joseph. In fact, in the, his words to them, he references two things: Shechem and the story of the sale of Joseph. Now Yaakov had seen where their anger brings them. It didn't just get them to kill a city of people who deserve to be killed. It also got them to try to kill Yosef. So now he's worried, you know, you guys may sometimes... Um, hit, you, might, you, may sometimes, you may be a hammer that sometimes finds a nail, but sometimes you find a baby. That's A. B, in the Psukim over here, he doesn't, like I said, it's all poetic, he doesn't actually explicitly mention anything. Um, he doesn't mention, um, he doesn't mention anything explicitly about Shechem. In fact, some of Roshim understand that he wasn't even talking at all about Shechem, he was only talking about the sale of Joseph. But even in Rashi, um, he says that they killed a man and an ox. Rashi says that this refers to Chamoir and the people of Shechem. What about Shechem himself? So he had a problem with the anger that they, that they, that they, that they went and killed Shechem, the father and the, and the people of the city, which again, either he had a problem with it itself or he had a problem with the attitude that they had. But the, the fact that they killed Shechem himself 
and that they did this whole deceitful ruse to get them to circumcise or whatever, we're not criticizing that. If we would have another hour, there would be plenty more to analyze. But as is the nature of time, um, we have to stop here. And um, I hope this was a um, interesting start to a conversation.